Hello, and thank you for joining us here on The Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani, joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, my partner in crime, really. The best way to describe this person is by everything. It's at Eric Dalala. Phil, good to be with you. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> I, I always uh, love to have you on as a you're a, you're a welcome guest, Eric. Yeah, very uh, recurring guest almost every week. Eric, uh, we have got a great show in store for NZ Nation here today. A lot of stuff to break down following the draft. A lot of things to get into. The Broncos, of course. Take Pat Sertan the second. We'll go one on one with the Broncos' first round pick. Uh, get his thoughts on, you know, joining a legacy of great defensive backs in Broncos history. You go all the way back, uh, Louis Wright, Billy Thompson, uh, and then even more recently, Champ Bailey, Akeem Talib, Chris Harris Jr. Could Pat, Pat Sertan join that group? Eric, uh, we asked him the, that question and what he thought about that. Uh, we'll talk about the remaining questions that the Broncos have now. What what positions are still a little bit iffy? Do you think that's fair to say that, Eric? I think so. I think so. I think that right tackle, considering uh, Jawan James's injury now, uh, would qualify under the iffy category. It would, yeah. That, uh, tough news to get right after the draft. Yeah. And then we'll say, hey – uh, looking at this team on paper, does this feel like a playoff team, Eric? Pretty pretty big question. You know, I, I, we'll have to uh, dive in and see what the answer is. So yeah. uh, uh, a pretty good show in store here, a post-draft show. Feels good to have the draft behind us, doesn't it, Eric? Yeah, let's get on to the schedule release, Phil. I've been waiting for a year, and I'm excited to finally have the schedule have you checked here. out any mock schedules yet? I've <laughs> been putting together a few of my own. Uh, yeah. We'll have one on DenverBroncos.com next week, Phil. But yeah, uh, try not to try to ignore the noise and just focus on what you can control. Got you know, it. who does Mel Kuyper have us opening with? <laughs> <laughs> that is a good question, though. Maybe we'll have to bring that up mm. toward the end of the show. What's your ideal starting matchup? We'll let you uh, think about that. For a little bit here marinate on it marinate uh what the yeah. schedule comes out next tuesday is that what you said next wednesday wednesday okay yeah yeah a lot That's of what our time whole show's gonna a be about of, yeah. next week Phil. a lot of time a lot of time to break that down eric you know that we like to make the neutral zone an interactive show you know i've heard that yeah if you're watching here on youtube you can comment below smash that subscribe button right there um, Eric, you could also leave a voicemail. We have a voicemail to uh, get to at the end of the show here. 707 Neutral. Pick up the phone, leave a voicemail, and we'll play it right here on the show. Eric, uh, there's another way you could leave an email or something? Yeah, you could leave an email at neutralzoneshow at gmail.com. We'll, uh, we'll get back to you. Ben Swanson forwards all of those along as he continues to audition for podcast supervisor. Um, he does. He's, he's done okay. But um, we're always looking to improve. We're looking for competition at every position, just like George Payton. So <laughs> yes. maybe yes. send a resume, too, if you send a take we're to willing, neutrals on the show at gmail.com. We're willing to trade for a podcast supervisor at this point. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, if we need to. If we need to. Yeah. Sorry, ben. Sorry, Ben. I'm just saying he is available on the market if anybody I, wants, Ben. I have heard that the best podcast supervisors are not available. They do not 
not going to be traded. I heard there is one podcast supervisor out there disgruntled at their current job. Uh, there's a rift there could be available. One uh, of the best podcast supervisors. We're not going to plan on that though, Phil. We, we like nothing, who we have in Ben on. Swanson. We like who we have in Ben Swanson. Yeah. But we're always open to improving the podcast supervisor room. Even if it's just a depth role, you know, we could always use some depth at That's the true. supervisor spot too. So. Yeah. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter at Eric Delisle with an A, at Phil Milani with a PH. Non traditional spellings there, but uh, those are the best ways to get involved with the show here. And Eric, with that, let's get to our first topic here. Let's talk about the draft, uh, general takeaways. Um, before we get your thoughts there, though, I must take one moment here, Eric. I believe that listeners of the Neutral Zone will be familiar with that. Just last week before the draft, I predicted that Pat Sertan would be the pick for the Broncos. Uh, Not just that, Eric. We also were like, what would be a bold take? What would be a bold take? And I said, taking a running back in the second round. I was a little bit off there, Eric. I should have said, trade it up to uh, to get a running back. I did not say that. I just said running back. But uh, I must take uh, a a moment here to just sort of... uh, uh, enjoy my my seat here on the throne. Well, I've, I've heard many times, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. So uh, congratulations to you on your, um, your picks that were formed geniusly in your brain, that uh, massive lots going on in there. Um, There's a lot I'll just, going on. I'll kind of just keep it at that, I guess. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate that because, you know, even a couple of weeks ago, even a couple of weeks ago, we did a pool where we each picked a player. We've picked a few players. And I said, Sertan was part of that grouping as well for me as well. So it's just. uh, It's like, you knew, it's like, you knew. Nostradam Milani. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 You've got that sixth sense that just you targeted, you knew. Yep. I'm impressed. Good for you. I did my homework, Eric. You did, you you know, did your homework. A lot of people, when they comment, they're like, I really enjoy Phil's passion and the way that he just sort of guides the show a little bit. But it, we really come for Eric's football knowledge. That's like a general theme amongst the commenters. Yet I'm the one here correctly predicting the picks. So I'm, it's just interesting. You know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think, I, think did, I did predict the Barrett Browning pick. That was that was nice. You had never heard of Baron Browning before they announced the pick. So, yeah, I knew I knew Barrett Browning. Yeah, the Baron, you know. That's what that's what his friends call him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a type of frozen pizza, right? You could pick that up at King Servers. Exactly. Yeah, it's, I love that pizza. <laughs> yeah, uh, Eric, you also said that you not only were on the quarterback train, you were the conductor. You also said that the Broncos uh, had the option there, Justin Fields or Pat Sertan or trade back. They decided to go with Sertan. Just your general takeaways here from what the Broncos did last weekend. Yeah, you brought all the receipts here, Phil. I, um, you know, it's grown on me the longer we've gotten away from the draft, just because I do think the more I watch of Pat Sertan, the more I read about him, listening to Champ Bailey talk about how impressed he was with Pat Sertan, I do think he's going to be or could be a generational type player for Denver. 
Um, he could be that 10-year cornerback that is an all-pro, a pro bowler, um, has the potential, certainly talented enough to, to be a guy that could someday be a ring of famer, maybe a hall of famer if everything breaks right. Um, so I, I like that, and I do think, Phil, I think he could be the best cornerback on the field midway through this season. I don't think that that's a, a stretch. I think that um, people concerned with how they're going to get him on the field might want to think about how, well, how are they going to get the other guys on the field? Because I think Sertan's going to earn his role and earn it quickly. I think he profiles as a number one guy by next, by early next year um, on the depth chart, following top receivers, maybe uh, would give Denver an option there that they haven't necessarily had in the past. But all that said, Phil, this pick is going to be tied to one, how Justin Fields performs in Chicago. If Justin Fields goes out and is a pro bowler, is a hall of famer, um, it's going to be, you know, this is always going to be connected. You're always going to wonder what if the, the other connection and kind of, I think what George Payton did was he decided the combination of Pat Sertan, Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater was better than the potential of Justin Fields. Now it's not, he may think that head to head Justin Fields is better than Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater. We don't know. He has not been asked that specifically. I don't know that he would even answer that if you asked him, but I think the combination of getting Sertan. So the other thing that you'll have to look for is if Drew Locke comes out and plays well and takes a step, or if Teddy Bridgewater comes out and plays like he did when he led the Vikings to a playoff berth, then this pick is going to look great because you've taken care of the quarterback position. You've taken care, or you've added a really good defensive player. But Phil, I think we're going to look at this pick for a long time and tie it both to the quarterbacks Denver has and the quarterback that they do not have because of this pick. And that tends to happen in drafts anyway, where people get linked together and then they say, okay, how did this, these two players compare? That happens all the time. Uh, I think the Broncos found themselves in a position where uh, they did not expect to have to make that decision between Justin Fields being available at number nine or the option of Pat Sertan or trading back. I don't think that they thought that Fields was going to be available Um but I will say, Eric, and I've talked about this a little bit here previously, is that the lead up to the draft this year was unlike any other. You know, there was no combine. There was no in-facility visits. Um, the, there was um, just a different feel to the, to the months leading up to the draft. So that, that was one element. The other element is that George Payton came into a new team, a new scenario here where he's using all of the scouts and personnel department that had been here under John Elway. None of these guys were his own hires, you know? So the whole scouting process was with a, a different, you know, team of people than he's hired. So he's trusting scouts that he did not hire. So I think you, you think about those two things there, you tend to go with a bit of a safer pick in my mind. If you just weigh all of those options, you say Pat Sertan was a really safe pick because you meet this kid. He's a pro. He has a pro mentality. He's soft-spoken, but you can feel the confidence with him. His dad played in the NFL for a long time, was a three-time pro bowler. Um, George Payton knew his father. So, you know, what kind of family he's coming from, you know, what kind of character this kid was. He was a five-star recruit in high school, uh, was a, the SEC defensive player of the year last year, first team, all American six foot two, 208 pounds. 
I mean, he just checks every single box. So in a year where there might be some weirdness there, Pat Sertan is everything that you're looking for. He, he's pretty much a slam dunk here to have a long, long career. And you know, like you mentioned, he could be a, a, a multi-pro bowler type of player at a position that is really valued, especially in this division. You're talking about Pat Mahomes. You're talking about uh, Justin Herbert, what the Raiders are doing. You need guys who can cover. And what are the Raiders doing, Phil? Well, John Gruden is still there. So, uh, you know, the, you expect that, that offense to be dynamic as long as John Gruden's there. So um, I think you just, there's a lot to like about Pastor Tan. He's, it's a position of need. And I think that you feel comfortable with that pick. Yeah, no, I, I agree that as far as picks go, he's about as safe as you can get. The floor is very high, you'd think. But again, every every draft pick is a, a leap of faith to some degree. So you hope that Sertan pans out the way that you want him to. But um, you're right, it is a pick that, I mean, George Payton said in his post-draft press conference, I've been scouting this guy for three years. I've been watching him for a long time. I know his character. I know his dad's character. I know what we're going to get from this guy. Um, it, it was very much a sure thing, I think. And, you know, who knows if the Broncos would have taken a quarterback in a different situation. It, it's quite possible that George Payton evaluated Justin Fields and said, this isn't the guy, or this isn't an upgrade from what we have, or, um, you know, we're just, we're not going to take our chance with somebody like this. We, we don't really know. We don't know what his individual assessment is. And so it's possible he could have had his own scouts in place. He could have had every single visit. And maybe that just would have confirmed his decision to go a different direction. We, we don't know. Denver was not the only team to pass on Justin Fields. I mean, Detroit was a place that he could have gone. Um, Carolina was a place he could have gone. Denver, of course, he fell to 11. And there obviously there were teams still that could have traded up to get him at seven or eight or nine even. Um, so interesting to think about. But yeah, I think Sertan is going to be one of those picks that in a few years you're going to be like, man, I'm really glad we have him because this defense has a lot of veteran players, but it doesn't have a ton of young talent and you need to replenish this. I mean, now you've got Sertan, Chubb, Justin Simmons, Draymond Jones. I mean, you can look at that as a core of a young defense that rivals how good that young offense is. And, and that's the way you keep a team successful, as we've heard George Payton say many times. I mean, uh, it should be a top three defense. I mean, no questions about it, uh, especially if everybody stays healthy. This should be a top three defense in the NFL. They've got every single position other than, I mean, you, you might have some questions about the depth at interior uh, defensive line, maybe interior li linebacker. You just uh, you don't have like that pro bowl caliber player, maybe necessarily, but you've got some solid starters there. So right. I think that um, uh, you got to be happy with how the defense looks here, uh, especially bringing Sertan into the mix. Eric, uh, and we're going to hear from Sertan here in just a second, uh, had a chance to catch up uh, with him during his visit to UC health training center. But uh, as far as the rest of the draft goes, the Broncos bring in an explosive running back. Uh, they add, added a wide receiver in the later rounds, uh, brought in some safety depth, brought in some edge rusher type of, uh, of players. What do you think about the rest of the draft as a whole? 
Yeah, I, I liked the aggressiveness to go up and get Javante Williams. I know that some people were confused about why the Broncos didn't take a tackle there. And obviously that's something that in retrospect, maybe you wish you could have done with the injury to Juwan James that we'll get to in a little bit here. Um, but I like the explosiveness of Javante Williams. You need somebody like that. You need young players there. Melvin Gordon's going into the last year of his contract and you didn't give up that much. You know, a fourth round pick got a sixth round pick back. Um, and then in the, after that, Phil, it was less to me about production as it was about potential. You know, we've seen the Broncos kind of have different uh, philosophies the last few years. In 2018, it was all about team captains and uh, production and, and proven value. And this year, I think George Payton looked at a lot of guys who are really athletic that they the Broncos think with the right coaching, you can get a lot out of. So Baron Browning, for example, in the third round, we heard Vic Fangio say that his versatility hurt him at Ohio State because he didn't have one spot to focus on. They'll find him a spot here, and hopefully he can turn into a really good off-ball inside linebacker if that's where they plan to keep him. A guy like Keaton Stearns, who had an incredible freshman season, but then things kind of slipped for him. You know he's got the talent to make things work. Again, you hope with the right coaching and the right attitude, he's able to get that done. Jamar Johnson is a guy that a lot of people thought would go back for one more year and probably could have elevated his draft stock. You buy low on him, but he's got a lot of talent, a lot of athleticism. Uh, you think of a guy like Kerry Vincent Jr. who opted out, a slot cornerback. George Payton has said if he can get healthy, he could be among the more talented guys. And so it, it kind of goes on from there. But really, I thought Seth Williams is another example. Um, and really, there was a focus on special teams for a lot of those day three picks. But, but I think instead of, you know, some drafts you want to be as safe as you can. And we've, we've talked about this. Is it, does it make more sense this year to just hit doubles or singles instead of trying to hit home runs? But so I think some of these guys could turn out to be really, really valuable pieces of this team um, that make contributions. And will every one of them pan out? No, the odds of that, just based on what we see in the draft year to year, that's not likely. But I do think if one of them or two of them or three of them from that day three group do hit, they've got the athleticism and the talent to be really good players instead of just, you know, kind of so-so contributors. And so to me, that's what it's exciting. You've got the top two picks that are proven players that you know what you're going to get from them, high-end guys. Um, some people thought Javante Williams was the best back in this draft ahead of Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. And then you've got a ton of potential with everybody from the third round and beyond. Yeah, potential and projecting, I think, are, are two big ways to categorize the rest of the picks there, Eric. I agree with you. You know, George, something George Payton said about his philosophy is you want as many darts as you can, because if you can hit on half of them, then the Broncos just added five quality players here in this draft. So yes, we, we know that that's a philosophy he had. Um, and it was a little bit of a different draft than we saw with John Elway recently, you know, uh, Elway really valuing like, um, senior captains, you know, those last couple of drafts, um, not a ton of that here in this draft, but more so, uh, guys who have tremendous athleticism guys who maybe have some question marks on them. Maybe some guys who, you know, uh, they're looking to get a little bit more out of than they were able to in college. You know, I think it was, was it Browning that Fangio was talking about and said, you know, uh, you, you see the body there, but the production wasn't quite what you were expecting, like out of this body. So, 
You know, uh, I think that the Broncos are counting on bringing in these guys and having the right environment, the right coaching, then they'll be able to get some of these guys to really blossom and become uh, the players that they're capable of, of playing. Even a guy like Quinn Miners, Eric, uh, coming in from a division three school, you, you got to feel good about it. Just considering that Mike Munchak, you know, had some input on that selection. So then you're like, okay, well, I sort of trust Munch here. And, and you put him with Munch's coaching here through the off season, through training camp, you got to feel good about this guy being able to uh, contribute right away. Yeah. But I also think what I like about the depth of this roster and what George Payton did in free agency is that really there's not an expectation for any of these guys to contribute right away. Like you would like Sertan and Javante Williams certainly to have early impacts, but if, if Browning is a guy that has to focus on special teams initially, it's not the end of the world. Or if, you know, if uh, Jonathan Cooper makes the roster and is a special teams player um, and kind of a, a reserve guy at edge rusher behind Von Miller, Bradley Chubb and Malik Reed, that's a good position to be in. And you bring these guys along slowly. I mean, good rosters, Phil, you look at a team like um, the chiefs or uh, San Francisco, you know, teams that are consistently Seattle teams that are consistently good year after year. I think you try not to put too much pressure on your rookies and you try to let them kind of come along and you need contributions from them, obviously, but, and from your first and second round picks, but the, the, day two, day three guys, you often see them take a step in year two, year three. And so um, to me, it's not the end of the world that you've got a bunch of young guys here that may not see a ton of playing time right away. Um, secondary to me, Phil, is going to be super interesting. I think the competition there will be intense. You've got uh, Ronald Darby, Kyle Fuller, Bryce Callahan, Pat Sertan, who are all probably capable of starting from day one. Obviously you can only get three of those guys on the field. And then you've got Kerry Vincent Jr. You've got a saying Bassey. You've got Michael Ojemudia. Uh, Duke Dawson is still on the team. Um, I mean, there's just a lot, and I'm sure I'm missing Parnell Motley. I believe they brought back on a futures deal. So th there's a lot of guys there. Obviously they're not all going to make the team. It'll be interesting to see kind of how Denver handles that. And then at safety too, Phil, I, I really like the depth behind Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson now with Keaton Stearns and Jamar Johnson. Those are, I, I really like the Jamar Johnson pick Phil. I think that he's got a chance to be a really good player for Denver. Kind of that's Justin Simmons esque, I think in his ability to pick passes off. And um, I'll be interested to see how he uh, kind of improves over the next couple of years, but a lot to be excited about. It was a, a best player available, a board-based draft. You know, I think some teams, you get down in the later rounds, they would have just taken a tackle for the sake of taking a tackle. They would have taken a tight end for the sake of taking a tight end, even if they weren't the most talented players. We've seen George Payton say, that's when you get into trouble, when you, when you prioritize need in the draft way beyond the talent that's available. That's when you uh, create problems for yourself. And Peyton, I felt like, was pretty open the whole weekend. You know, he said that they were hoping that a certain player would fall in the first round that they might have traded back in. Uh, that was reported to be Jalen Phillips, uh, the edge rusher out of Miami. He, he all but gave that away. Um, he said that later on, they were hoping to try and get a tackle, but uh, a guy was that they wanted was picked beforehand. So, you know, it seemed like he 
uh, trusted his board and said, okay, I'm not comfortable going up that high to get this guy. I'm not willing to make this trade. Some of those things, that patience, you know, I think uh, that showed that even though this was his first time in the, in the head seat, he's been through a lot of drafts, you know, uh, and didn't panic or anything like that. Uh, I agree with you, Eric. I like the Jamar Johnson pick too. A kid who had uh, four interceptions last year um, was second team, I believe, all Big Ten uh, coming out of Indiana. Guys who have potential that if they come in here and they they uh, believe in the coaching, they trust it, and they they commit themselves to this process here, I think that they could really make an impact. Um, and you know, George Payton even said that special teams hadn't been where it needed to be the last couple of years. And that really speaks to the team's depth. So adding depth all across the roster was really important. Um, and I think that you've seen George Payton's patience pay off and his uh, forethought, his foresight. You know, I mean, if you don't get Teddy Bridgewater for a sixth round pick going into the draft and you see Justin Fields fall to seven or eight and you think Carolina is going to take him, you might feel pressure to move up to seven to get him. And in that case, you're getting rid of your second round pick and all of a sudden no Javante Williams for you. And so you're losing an explosive piece there. So that, that's something where George has consistently given himself options. He hasn't backed himself into a corner. We'll kind of see Phil, how he's tested this right tackle situation, which we're going to get to is kind of the first time he has been backed into a corner and has to make a, a decision like this. But generally during the draft, Phil, I thought he, he handled things well, um, didn't ever make it seem like the rash decision. It seemed like everything was well thought out. And, uh, you know, we won't know for sure for a couple of years here how this draft looks. But from all the early returns in terms of draft experts and what they think, the, the, uh, the response to this draft has been overwhelmingly positive, kind of with that caveat of Justin Fields could have been an interesting pick there. Yeah, that must tell you how much they really like Javante Williams, that they were like, we got to go up a few spots here and get this guy. So yeah. uh, really the only time that they made a move like that. And Eric, I agree. There's, I think there's two ways to judge a draft. Obviously, we're not going to know the quality of the players for a couple of years. But I think that you can judge the, hey, did this guy reach a little bit? Did he trust his board? Did he seem prepared? Did they execute what they wanted to do? And I think all of those things are true with uh, Peyton. We can uh, confidently say that they executed the way that they wanted to. So I think we can uh, uh, give some positive feedback with that. Eric, with that, let's hear from the Broncos' first-round pick, the cornerback out of Alabama, the SEC Defensive Player of the Year in 2020, an All-American. Here is Pat Sertan, the second. Pat, we're standing here uh, overlooking the practice fields. Uh, what's it like being now here at the facility? Uh, you know, I'm very excited. You know, it's a special feeling to be here, a part of this tremendous organization. I just can't wait to suit up and play. There's a long history of defensive backs here going way back and even more recently, Champ Bailey, Akeep Talib, Chris Harris Jr. What's it feel like to be a part of that lineage? Uh, it feels great to be a part of that uh, amazing defensive back history, uh, amazing uh, defensive back tradition, you know, just to be a part of that, you know, just working towards to, you know, be on that sort of pedestal and working towards to be on that type of, uh, uh, you know, history mark. You talked to Jerry Judy, your former Alabama teammate, about what it's like playing here in Denver? 
Yeah, I talk to him a lot. Uh, we talk about the altitude, of course. Uh, being in Denver is a little different. But, you know, he said the fans are um, very exciting. Um, just to be able to get around with them. You know, I've, you know, this is my first time in Denver, actually. I'm just looking to get around, you know, just be with the fans, of course. Your dad played in the NFL for a very long time. You went to Alabama. Why do you feel like you're ready to be a pro? Um, I just feel like I was born ready to be a pro ever since um, I had a dream of uh, being in the NFL. You know, just going through my days, uh, I always carry myself a certain type of way, like a, a professionalized person, you know, just staying the course and staying humble, you know, staying focused on my goals. I think that's what helped shape me get to this point. Talking about your game, you know, with your size and everything, how do you flow so well out there on the field? Everybody always says you're in great control. You never panic when the ball's in the air. Yeah, you know, I just go back to my uh, experience playing DB. You can never be too low, never be too high. You know, stay in between. You know, just stay focused on what you need to do, uh, focus on your technique. And, you know, at the main thing at the catch point, you know, I just feel like I'm a natural at it. We mentioned your dad earlier. Is, do you have a favorite game, a favorite moment from his career? You mentioned being in the locker room as a kid. Do you have a favorite memory that stands out? Yeah, memory, uh, I was actually, it was with the Chiefs. Um, I remember being on the field with him in the coin toss. I believe they played the Saints as well. You know, just getting that forward experience, uh, being able to, you know, just talk to different players, talk to the different teams. You know, it's all-around feeling. You know, I was five years old at the time, and I looked at them like giants. You know, just when I look back at it, it's funny because, you know, just to be in a situation now, it's sort of like vice versa. Hopefully I could be uh, in that type of uh, little kid, you know, wish. Last one for you here. You dress very nicely, but you don't have the PS2 chain. It said you got the earrings on, huh? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a little showcase. I didn't bring it out yet. I was trying to make a little surprise. But, um, yeah, I'm going to bring it out certainly uh, through the next couple of days. Well, welcome to Denver. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, to Pat Sertan, the second there. If you're just listening uh, on the podcast, the last part there we're referencing is earrings that he had on. Uh, some look like diamond PS2 earrings. Uh, PS on one side, two on the other side. Uh, very, uh, very stylish, Eric. I thought his suit was right on the money. Yeah, you were all over the, it, it was like we had a Esquire magazine or something. I mean, you were like, who are you wearing today? Where did Eric, you get those I'll say diamonds? This. When you're a first round pick, and maybe even more so if you're a defensive back or you're like a wide receiver, you got to have some style. I'll just say you, know. you got to have some swagger. You got to have, you got to have like a, a persona, a, a feeling when you're around this guy. Uh, my takeaway from, uh, and you are right there with me there, Eric. My takeaway was just quiet confidence. I mean, this guy has a presence, you know, when you, when you just feel, when you, you're just around him. And I like that. I mean, he, he does seem like he is pro ready eric yeah no i agree he's uh in terms of winning a press conference and your ability to do that he did that you know he he just comes off like a guy that's mature that has it all together that's ready to go go um can transition easily to the league uh, you you see some of these guys come in sometimes phil and they, you can just tell they're young you can tell that this is a big step for them I don't know if it's because of his dad or, you know, obviously he said his mom has been a huge part of his life and keeping him on track, but it just seems like Pat Sertan was made for this moment. And this, this kid has been projected for this role almost his entire life. I mean, when you're a five-star recruit, you're the top of the top, you play at a big high school, 
where his dad coached him. Then you go to Alabama and you're playing with the best of the best. You're winning national championships. He's ready for this. You know, I, I like uh, picking kids like that who have just been at the top of everything their whole life. Now he's a first round pick and, and ready to play in the NFL. But Eric, it's natural now to look at some other areas where the Broncos weren't able to really address some needs, uh, some, some remaining question marks here for the roster. And I think it makes sense to start with right tackle. Yeah, Phil, uh, tough, tough news. Jawan James reportedly tearing his Achilles away from the facility on Tuesday. Uh, he is going to probably be out for the year, it sounds like. That's tough because the Broncos, they obviously signed him in 2019 with the intention of him finally filling that right tackle spot that they'd really worked since 2014 to fill. Um, and it, it just didn't work out. He played three games, about 60 snaps in 2019 as he battled knee injuries. Uh, 2020, he opted out. I don't fault him for that in any way. I don't think you can really consider that as part of the uh, the, the issue here with him being available. That's, I'm not going to fault anyone for uh, ensuring their safety during a very weird season. Family but, safety. was Exactly. But, but then to have this injury, uh, again, it sounds like he likely won't be with the team. The Broncos could place him on the non-football injury list if they want to, it sounds like. So the Broncos were depending on him, Phil. We've heard George Payton and Vic Fangio say that he looked good, that they expected him to be the starter at right tackle. And now you have a hole here right after the draft, really inconvenient timing. I mean, maybe Rashawn Slater would have made sense from Northwestern at, at nine if uh, this injury had happened a week ago. But you're going to have to figure it out. There's some veteran options. You could move Dalton Reiser to right tackle. Um, you could have Calvin Anderson, your in-house candidate, be the guy. But um, that's just going to be a, a big question mark going into the season, Phil, because everywhere else on offense – besides quarterback, which we'll talk about, it's kind of a done deal. And we've seen, Phil, you saw it in the Super Bowl, teams can win and lose games based on how their tackles, how their offensive lines play. And so they're going to need somebody to, to come in there. And maybe the hardest thing for me, the last thing I'll say about this, Phil, is injuries are going to happen. You're going to have injuries in training camp. You're going to have injuries during the season. For me, I kind of always look at it as, can your first big injury be as late as possible because there's going to be more. This is not going to be the last season ending injury that a Broncos player suffers. It's unfortunate, but that's just kind of how it goes. And so the fact that in April or May, early May, you've already lost a starter for the year, which chips away at your depth. To me, that just raises the anxiety of well, what happens if someone goes down in training camp because our depth is already tested now. And then what happens if somebody goes down early in the season you've just kind of started to chip away at that depth earlier than you'd like. Whereas if a starter got hurt, you know, you made it through preseason, you made it through training camp, somebody gets hurt week one or week two. Well, at least your depth is still intact for the most part for the rest of the season for that to start now. is just, I don't like it, Phil. It gives me a bad, bad feeling. Well, and last year for the Broncos, you saw this sort of snowball out of control, you know, Von Miller got hurt in the very first practice, you know, of the season. And then a couple of weeks later, Cortland Sutton done for the year and then Jarrell Casey. And then it just got out of control there for the Broncos. Hopefully this is just the one isolated type of thing. And you just wonder for James, you know, like not playing last season, if uh, you know, you just 
your mind starts to wonder like, okay, could this have been avoided or not? But the bottom line is the Broncos have to figure out what they want to do a right tackle. Some reports uh, on uh, Wednesday here as we're recording that they're going to meet with a player like Dennis Kelly started a lot of games. I think this is going to be his eighth season in the NFL. No, he's played eight seasons in the NFL uh, started 16 games last year for the Titans. That could be a really good option. Uh, for the Broncos. I think they're also meeting with Bobby uh, Massey, a seven-year player here in the NFL. So there are some options for some guys who have played a lot of football. And I thought that even last year, Damar Dotson coming in, I thought that he played pretty well. Uh, Elijah Wilkinson had some injuries, you know, an up and down thing there. So I do think there's some options. Maybe you're not going to find the the quality of a player like a Jawan James, but at least maybe there's some options out there, Eric. Uh, another position that the Broncos, uh, you know, were rumored to want to address early, you know, a lot of mocks with Micah Parsons to the Broncos inside linebacker. How do you feel about that position right now? Yeah. Um, that's one of those positions where I think you're going to need a young guy to step up. I mean, let's be clear, Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell have been very solid against the run. I think they're good uh, two-down linebackers at the very least. I think Alexander Johnson in particular has shown, not as much last year, but the year before, showed uh, some potential in pass coverage. And so you just hope that a guy like um, Baron Browning can come in and give them that boost of athleticism they need to maybe cover a, a Travis Kelsey, um, to cover a running back out of the backfield. And then the other option, of course, is Justin Sternod, who was a fifth-round pick a year ago, who I think they really liked. He, I think he felt he was going to be the, the starting nickel linebacker. He was going to get in there on sub packages and then suffer that wrist injury that ended his year before it began. He's kind of an addition that, that will show up just because he didn't play last year. Um, so there's potential. I think the depth is thin there. I think maybe you could see, um, you know, maybe there's a possibility that later in training camp or the closer we get to the season that they add a veteran there the way they did a year ago. I mean, the list is bad. I can't even remember the name of the veteran that they added last year. Because oh, yeah, the play. Steelers player, yeah. Um, uh, Barron, right? Yeah. Yep, Mark Barron. Barron. Yeah. Mark Barron. Um, now they've gone to Barron Brown and hoping that this Barron goes a little bit better, obviously. But, but didn't Vic say that uh, he wants Barron to line up at outside to start here? No, inside to start. Inside to start. Oh, yeah. okay, got it, got yeah. it. Um, and so I do think the depth is a little thin there. We'll, we'll have to see, but Phil, I will say the tight end position has not challenged the Broncos the same way in Vic Fangio's defense, the way that it had in 2016 through 2018. You know, there, there are still times when, you know, Darren Waller's had a nice game or Travis Kelsey's had a nice game, but so they're really good players. I mean, that's not necessarily an indictment on the Broncos' ability to cover those guys. So, um, you know, inside linebacker is a, a position that I'm sure the Broncos would like a little bit more depth, would like a little bit more star power. But I think they're okay. And, and on that defense, I think there's enough talent around them. An outside linebacker, certainly that secondary, you'd hope, would give guys more time to get to the passer if you're Bradley Chubb or Von Miller, which should then – in turn, help the inside backers. Um, so, yeah, I, it's definitely the, I don't want to say the weak spot on the defense, but the position I have the most questions about. But I, th I think the rest of the group around them should be good enough to kind of uh, to help with that. Yeah. Um, 
I'm sorry, I must have got that confused because I think that Baron himself said that he's more comfortable playing outside. I think that's where I got that confused. Um, we're here, Phil, we're here for you to give us the emotion yeah, and the fans' what, perspective. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it yeah. doesn't, we're back to normal. He said that he he's more comfortable out playing outside. Uh, Eric, I agree with you. I think that Josie Joel and Alexander Johnson are uh, quality NFL starters, but at the end of the day, they are limited by their athleticism. I mean, they are, they are who they are. They're not, they're not going to be like Devin White where they're sprinting and they're going to beat a tackle, you know, to the edge and they're going to get around him and make the tackle in the backfield. They're, that's just not going to happen. So uh, I think that you can count on them to be, um, you know, they have the headset, they're connected with Vic on defense. They're delivering the play calls. They know where people are supposed to be. They know how to fill gaps and make tackles when they need to, but they're never going to be that like crazy athlete. That's like really uh, just uh, somebody that you fear, you know, in that middle linebacker. But that being said, the talent all around them makes this a top three defense. So that, that position I, I'm not too concerned about, especially because those two now have been in the league for a while. I mean, Josie got a lot of playing time last year when the Broncos decided to move on from Todd Davis and Alexander Johnson has now really played for a year and a half as that starter linebacker, starting linebacker. So uh, I do feel good about the experience that they have there. Um, and I, I just think that it's going to be hard for, you know, is it impossible for teams to take advantage of, inside linebackers in the passing game enough to like change the game yeah but I, I think it's difficult you know when you've got a really good pass rush and you've got a good defensive line and you've got a really ridiculously good secondary if you're going to try to target inside linebackers you know one-on-one -on, -one on slants or um, seam routes with your running back kind of there in the slot I mean Good luck. I, it's going to work a few times. I, I'm skeptical that a team is going to be able to consistently move the ball on you the entire game that way in a way that makes, you know, that you're not going to be able to stop it. And I thought one quote from George Payton, I think he told this to our friend Mike Clisphill, was that Vic is one of the best defensive minds in the game. Let's give him the pieces to go show what he can do. Because the strategy the last two years, it seems, has been Vic can take, you know, Vic could take you, Phil, and turn you into a, um, probably not an average NFL linebacker, but maybe you could make the practice squad or something. I mean, <laughs> I <don't> he, think so. <laughs> he can take really, he can take players and elevate their games. And it's, the thought has been add to the offense and see what Vic can do with the defense. Now it's like, let's give Vic elite defensive talent and see how good he can make that group. And so I, I trust in Vic and his scheme to kind of make things work with the position, with the personnel they have in place. And really, it could be the first time we see Von Miller and Bradley Chubb healthy together with Vic. The secondary, maybe the best safety duo in the NFL, and then the rest of the pieces there on the outside. We'll talk about this in a future episode, Eric, but probably the best secondary in the NFL at this point. Uh, at least the argument definitely could be made there. Just let Vic be creative. I mean, you don't have to have two linebackers line up in the middle of the field there like that. So yeah. you can you can play around with uh, things and just get the best talent out there on the field. And I think that the Broncos will be able to do that. Uh, there's one other position we got to talk about, Eric. There's one more. Tight end. Um, quarterback. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people 
thought that when Justin Fields was available there, that that was going to be the pick. I think everybody was geared up for that. Uh, of course, that did not happen. Before the draft even started, Twitter was going crazy with Aaron Rodgers. It's still going crazy with Aaron Rodgers. And uh, when the dust settles here, or at least when it did at the end of the draft, George Payton said, I feel really good about the two guys in Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke uh, having a competition and seeing who who is eventually the Broncos starter. Yeah, and I'll just say, if if something happens at some point, Phil, with Aaron Rodgers, and that becomes a reality, we will spend an entire episode, we'll spend three episodes, we'll spend I'll spend days live on Twitter spaces talking about it, okay? Well, he'll have a re- reoccurring segment on the neutral zone. Yeah, well, we'll have to see if he's up for that hypothetically. Well, but... He would not be, but we'll talk about him <laughs> yes. every week. Yes. So if that happens, I will dedicate so much time to that, that you will all, all of you members of Neutral Zone Nation will be very happy. I'm not devoting time to that right now because mm-hmm. it is just, it is a, he's on another team. They've said that they don't want to trade him. It's just, it would be a lot of speculation for something that who knows if it happens or not. It's fun Let's, to think about, but it, yes. it is. But for now, I'll focus on the two guys who are on the roster. Okay. Who we know can compete. In Teddy Bridgewater, we've heard, we know that George Payton thinks that he's a guy that operates the offense with ease, very smooth player. He's not going to turn the ball over a ton. He's probably not going to make you um, a game-winning play, but he's also probably not going to lose you the game. He's a very steady player. And then in Drew, of course, you've got a guy who can make these big plays, make the big-time throws, has all the talent in the world. I think probably Phil has a higher ceiling than Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think that it's a stretch to say that. At this point, yeah. But also, I think he's got a lower floor than Teddy based on what we've seen in terms of his inability to kind of cut down on those turnovers. So I think if you get the best version of one of those players and hopefully they push each other to be that, you can be in the playoff mix. Do I think you're going to go 13 and three, 14 and, or gosh, 13 and four, 14 and three. It's going to take a while to get used to that 17 (laughs) game math, but I'm not sure about that, Phil, but do I think you could get to that 10 win range and push for a playoff spot? I I think that with the the depth of this team around you, you can get there. I, I kind of see this competition, Phil, and, you know, maybe the last big competition there was, was in 2016, Trevor Simeon, Mark Sanchez, Paxton Lynch kind of involved in there. And the way Trevor won the job was not necessarily by, you know, making incredible plays. It was that Mark Sanchez continued to turn the ball over in the preseason. And Gary Kubiak essentially decided we can't hurt our football team like this. We cannot do that. And they went with Trevor Simeon. They ended up winning nine games, finishing just a game short of the playoffs. Um, you know, Trevor got hurt a couple of games in there. It'll be interesting to see in retrospect what would have happened. But I, I could see a similar situation, Phil. If Teddy goes out and he's the steady guy, it could come down to is Drew Locke the, you know, is Drew Locke able to cut down on these turnovers and make the big play? And if he continues to turn the ball over, I think they're very easily going to go to Teddy and say, we can't. With the roster we've assembled around this team, we can't give away games anymore. I mean, there is a notion out there that Teddy is like this safer veteran type of quarterback. He threw 11 interceptions last year. 
you know, like he did turn the ball over. And even when he was in Minnesota, like his rookie year, he had 12 interceptions. His second year, he had nine, um, of course. And then uh, he didn't, you know, he had the injury. And then in New Orleans as a backup there, uh, cut down on his totals. But he, I mean, he has turned the ball over a little bit here during his career. So it, I do think he tends to be the safer of the two just because he has a lot more experience than Drew. And, you know, uh, of course it's hard to compare. It's not really apples to apples because you're talking about a lot of weapons on this Broncos team that he didn't really have last year in Carolina, certainly with Christian McCaffrey being injured so much, he just didn't have the team around him. So maybe he had to force it a little bit more, but. Well, yeah, his, his interception rate is more than a percent lower than Drew's. So it's, yeah. certainly a little bit better in that regard and drew also did struggle with some fumbles so um yep you're right that he's not immune to turnovers but i do yeah. think he's a safer option in that area i think uh, when it boils down to me you just know what teddy is about you've seen him be be out there and play a lot of football drew is still very much a question mark did he improve a lot this offseason did he take that step that we've desperately been waiting to to see from him maybe he has I mean he's just such so much more of an unknown so when it comes down to it at the end of the day they might just say okay this guy's still an unknown and we're not willing to take that risk right now let's go with Teddy or they might say dang Drew is really taking a jump here let's go with him and we always have Teddy just in case so that's, I feel like, the balance that uh, they'll have to strike here. And we won't really know until training camp comes and they're out there until preseason games when it's really, it's on. Let's see how, how they can, how they carry themselves. You know, one of the things that Drew even has got to take care of is just being healthy. Like he's got to be available, you know, and at times he, he has really struggled with that. So, um, do you do you have an early guess of who you think will be the week one starter? And I'll let you, I'll let you change this closer to training camp or before. I mean, it's really, uh, I, I would say I have no idea. George Payton, I think he said it's 50, 50 right now, but Michael Silver in his story said that uh, he felt like maybe Teddy Bridgewater was ahead. I'll say drew just for the, for the fact that he's been here, he's worked with Pat Shermer um, and you're hoping that he's taken this step this off season. I know Teddy Bridgewater has some familiarity there with Pat from Minnesota and, and so does George and stuff. But uh, I do feel like just having been in this system now uh, for a second year for Drew, I think is going to give him a little bit of a heads up. And I'm confident that Drew's been working hard and that he has taken uh, taken this next step. I'm confident that the Drew Lock we'll see come out for the start of training camp will be much better than the Drew Lock we saw last season. Yeah, Here, here's one more question for you, Phil, because I think that if Drew Lock is the day one starter, Teddy can still be in Denver for as a backup, um, and it'd be a good one if if Teddy becomes the week one starter and start, you know, or just is the starter, do you see, is that the end of the Drew Locke era? Well, Drew would be the backup, obviously. And who knows if Teddy got hurt and Drew went out and had a lot of success, maybe he could really spark, spark something and, and keep that job. So I, I don't think that's necessarily case closed, but um, 
it, it wouldn't be great. You know, I think that um, for all young quarterbacks who come into the league, you sort of have this vision of, okay, I'm going to struggle for a little bit. I'm going to get better. I'm going to get more comfortable. I'm going to have some growing pains, but I'm going to be on the, you know, the ascension there where you, eventually I'm going to get it. Not too many quarterbacks uh, have that struggle, feel like they got it, regress, have a, a difficult second season and then lose a job and then eventually get it. That's not really the path for a lot of these guys. Yeah, no, I agree. I think for Drew to be the long-term guy here, he's got to, he's got to win this competition over the, the summer. And um, I think he probably realizes that in some ways he, he's gotten a little bit of a second lease on life here because the Broncos did not draft Justin Fields or Mac Jones uh, because had they taken one of those guys, you know, the writing would have been on the wall. I think Drew still does have a real chance to keep this job. Um, but uh, he got his second chance, so to speak, and now he's got to take advantage of it if he wants to be the long-term guy. And there's no question about it, Eric. We know the Broncos made a move to try and see if they could get Stafford. They made a call. I mean, that didn't work out. There's rumors about Aaron Rodgers. You know, it's not like the quarter the Broncos are sitting here and saying we're worth we're thrilled with how everything's gone. They, they want to see it from Drew. You know, I think they like Drew. They hope that he can take that step, but they want to see it, you know, and they're not afraid to say, we're going to go explore other options uh, if you, if it doesn't work out. So um, that sort of leads us into the, our next uh, category here, Eric. And that's the final one for this episode is on paper. Does this Broncos team look like a playoff team to you? Yeah, I mean, I think if you can answer some of those questions, you know, what who is that right tackle? Uh, is inside linebacker, uh, you know, are they good enough there to, to match up with some of these tight ends? Can you win some of these close games that you've been in? I think that requires Vic Fangio taking a step forward. Um, we know George Payton has been big in analytics. We'll see if that if anything on game day kind of changes there. You need some of these guys to stay healthy, just like any – team does but I think you've now got the depth you need and from what we've heard Phil around the league many people are saying this is the top five roster on the team on, in the league and so it really just does come down to can you get good enough play at the quarterback position and there's a lot of people that I think are saying well just the answer is no you know like they're not good enough to do that and I would remind people Phil that last year the Broncos were beating Kansas City in Kansas city with a beat up roster because of how Vic fan, you know, with third string defensive players because of how Vic Fangio's defense was playing. And if you, you know, if you convert on a final drive, you might win that game. You know, there, there were some, some duds in there, you know, certainly Buffalo uh, in December uh, came in here and, and just kind of had their way with Denver. I know Vic Fangio wasn't very happy with that situation, but the Broncos, I think, were closer to certain opponents than, you know, with a beat-up roster, with, to put it frankly, so like poor play at times from Drew Locke. When he played well, this team was right in it. And so, I, you know, again, it's all going to come down to the quarterback position, but I do think that both Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater at their ceiling or even at their, you know, the expected value, they can play well enough to win you these games. Are you going to go, again, 14 and three, 15 and two, 16 and one. I don't know. That's probably a stretch when you don't have that true franchise quarterback. 
but they're they've made enough plays in this league, Phil, and shown that they can, you know, win you games. And so with the I think the Broncos have the seventh or eighth easiest schedule in the league this year because they play the last place teams in a couple of these divisions. I think if you can kind of rack up some of those wins, uh, you know, finally get one against the Chiefs, split against the Chargers, maybe sweep the Raiders. Like the, there's a path, certainly, and I don't think it requires a miracle in Aaron Rodgers being traded here to wind up in that playoff conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, there's like a, a, a mix of things that needs to go right for this team. They need to stay healthy. They need young guys to be able to take a little bit of a step here. Um, but ultimately, it's going to come down to Drew. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Or Teddy. I mean, they've just got to get better quarterback play in, if they want to take that step as a team. Eric, when I look at this roster, uh, it's hard to not compare it to, like, say, 2011, 2012, where the rest of the roster is really solid. And in your mind, you're like, if they just get this quarterback play, they can really contend for something. Of course, in that situation, 2012, insert Peyton Manning, they have the best record in the entire AFC. You know, they're the number one seed. And of course they went on to win a Super Bowl. When you look at this team, the roster outside of quarterback is very similar. So, you know, whether that is Aaron Rodgers or just simply Drew Locke playing better, this team could really take a massive jump. And I know we talked about that so much last season. I mean, you and I were drinking the Kool-Aid. You know, we were stirring the, the Kool-Aid and we were passing it out, and then we were drinking it ourselves too because I think we both really thought that the team was going to make the playoffs last year. But they just didn't get that jump uh, from the quarterback position. So I think that if you're able to play really strong defense, get better quarterback play, and to me that means just don't don't wreck the game, you know, uh, I know Drew talks about this a lot where he's like, I know I got to be more of a manager. I know I can't take these risks. He's got to be about that too, Eric. He, he can't just talk about it. He's got to be about that. And if he is, I do think the Broncos could, could make the playoffs. Um, we'll see what happens with Justin Herbert. You know, they, they fired that coaching staff there. You've got a new coaching staff, a new system coming in there. We'll see what happens. You know, there's more tape on him. We'll see what happens from year one to year two for Justin Herbert. Uh, we know what Patrick Mahomes is going to be. So I think that on paper, Eric, this looks like a playoff team for the Broncos, but not a team that's going to beat the Chiefs in the division. Yeah, think that's and, fair. Yeah, I think that, you know, I'm not going to guarantee a playoff berth. I don't think that's fair after four consecutive seasons where you don't have a winning record. And I think you've got to take a, I at least am going to take a more tempered approach going into this year, just because we did see last year when you thought you had a talented roster and ended up winning, what, five games, I believe. Um, I mean. So, and a lot of that was injuries, but you've got to get off to a better start. I mean, the last, they've been 0-7 in September the last two years to start the year, which just it ruins your playoff chances before you even begin. So let's see if this team can get off to 1-0, 2-0, 2-1, in there, and at least have a chance. And then they've got to avoid these streaks where you lose two or three in a row several times a year because those kill your season. You've got to be better, you know, in a more micro level. Third down, you know, offensively, they have to be better. They've got to be better in certain situations. I mean, how many times last year, Phil, did we see a key fumble, a key drop, a key interception, 
um, you know, a, a key defensive breakdown or maybe not a breakdown, but just, you know, letting a receiver come up with a ball um, or them get a big first down that just kind of, it took any chances of you winning and, and dissipated them. So those are all things that have to happen. But I mean, Phil, the, the, I've said this many times, the fact of the NFL, life in the NFL, when you don't have a franchise quarterback or like the, a top five guy, you kind of live in that middle space, you know, where you're always going to be somewhere between like, I'm going to use the old records, but somewhere between six and 10 and 10 and six. And if you win, you know, if you push one of those games to a win or two of those games to a win, maybe you make the playoffs. If the next year, two of those don't go your way, maybe you fall out of the playoffs. The Broncos have been on the wrong side of that, but um, I, I do think it's possible you can operate in that range, but your margin for error is just so much smaller when you don't have that. And so Phil, they might, they might go out and beat the Chiefs if they play really well and some and the defense has a really good game. And then the next week, if they turn the ball over a couple of times, they could have a clunker against the Detroit Lions and lose. And, and that's just, I think, no matter how talented your roster is, when your quarterback play is not at that upper echelon, that's just kind of what you live with from week to week. And that's what, you know, that's what the Chargers dealt with this last year. It's what we see the Falcons deal with from time to time, um, you know, even the Bills in, in Josh Allen's second year kind of dealt with that. Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill. I mean, there's a whole group of teams that is kind of in that middle tier of players. And so that, that that's the story to me. It's just there's not a lot of room for error. You kind of pointed that out. But this is – if they make it, Phil, I think it's going to be close. And we know one thing. They'll, they'll be built to do all the other things right. They're going to play good defense. And with the addition of Javante Williams, they're going to be able to run the ball here, you know, so they're going to be able to run the ball and play good defense. So th those are big parts of the formula here in order to have success and, and to be able to win tight games, to be able to win in the playoffs, you got to be able to do those two things, run the ball, play good defense. This team is built to be able to do those things. If some things fall the right way, I really do think uh, there's a lot to be optimistic about you know, considering the roster is good. We just need a little bit better quarterback play. Eric, I think it's time to get to our favorite part of the show and that's shout outs. And, uh, you know, probably shout out Liz Manis, wouldn't you say? Yeah, some in-person community events this week. Yeah. Kind of a nice change of pace. It's fun. So they did, uh, they made some packages in the field house, I think. Um, Nice to see uh, some players get out into the community, do some stuff instead of just some Zooms. Also, I know that they've got some stuff uh, planned for Mental Health Awareness Month. That's May, uh, doing some mental health stuff with Dr. Nicole Linen, Eric. So yeah, nice, valuable nice to addition to the team last year. Really was. Should also uh, shout out Broncos Batman. He left, oh. the, uh, left, he left the voicemail here for us, uh, Eric. And, uh, you know, we love our voicemails. We do love voicemails. We just do. So let's go ahead and uh, play Broncos Batman's email here, the return. Broncos Batman. Hey, guys. This is Bronco Batman, day after the draft. And what a draft it was. This was crazy to think Fields was still on the board. Everybody was clamoring for Fields. But you know what? George Payton stuck with Patrick Satane the second. I think it's a great pick. It's kind of showing what we're going to do for the future as far as, you know, all the cornerbacks that we got for, with one-year contracts. 
So it's kind of shown that we're already preparing for next year's draft, you know, off season and stuff. But I think he's a great player. I'm happy that we he is sticking with Drew Locke, you know, slash te- Teddy Bridgewater, you know. Um, you know, I was a little disappointed, to, you know, from all the hype from Fields, you know. I was kind of 50-50, but, you know, I'm glad we went this direction. So, anyway, go Broncos. Uh, excited for what for what this season has to come. Great show as always, guys. Keep rocking the hair. Bronco Batman out. Eric, Broncos Batman sounded a little bit tired there, probably uh, analyzing the draft, but we appreciate his phone call. He liked the Pat Sertan pick. So he's on he's on board with that. We love it. If Broncos Batman is on board, we got everybody on board. Yes. They put the signal out, you know, and he, he answered the call. He he delivered with the voicemail. And uh he says that he likes what George Payton did uh in this first draft. So Eric, anything else that you want to talk about here? Or time to wrap no, up the show. I got one for you, Phil. I wonder if you could pick we got, you know, by the time we put out our next episode, mm-hmm. Phil. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about the schedule next week. I'm sure we will because I love it more than anything in the entire world. Um, is who would be an ideal opponent to open up with if you could pick a week one game for the Broncos? Um, hmm. Who would it be? And I can I can give people a reminder here of who these uh, future opponents are, if that's helpful for you, Phil. But if you know them off the top of your head. I mean, not helpful for me, but uh, oh, for I, mean, the I know what, yeah. I mean, I know that the Broncos are playing what the NFC East, Eric. So that means uh, the Washington football team, Dallas, uh, the Giants and the yeah, Eagles. So, so in addition to the division opponents, they've got the Eagles, the Washington football team, the Bengals, the Ravens and the Jets and the Lions at home. So you're going crazy. Okay. Here at home. And then on the road, they uh, they play Cleveland, Dallas, the Giants, Pittsburgh, Jacksonville, and then the three division opponents. So do any of those stand out to you, Phil, as a real exciting week one matchup? We just talked about how important it would be for the Broncos to get off to a good start, right? So we like did. last we year, did. last year, the schedule didn't do them any favors having to face the Titans week one that was difficult considering they had just played in the conference championship game the, the year before. Then you've got the Steelers on the road. Steelers are always a, a solid football team. So I would say like the team that gives you the best chance to win, Eric. And so, I mean, a hard to just like bash, bash one of these teams, but maybe just based off of what we saw last season, maybe like the Jets at home would be nice. you got a rookie quarterback probably uh, making his debut um, if that was on the road, you know, uh, being here here in Denver, that would be a, a positive. So um, I'd say maybe the Jets, maybe the Lions, uh, uh, being able to start out at home would be ideal. If you're just asking me what's ideal, how about those two teams playing here at home? That'd be fun. I'll uh, I'll say against the Raiders. Um, I just I don't like home or away. Home or away. Well, let's get let's get the road game out of the way it's been you're saying this is the ideal start is what you're is what you're saying i'm not you're not predicting what's going to happen but you're saying ideally the broncos would go on the road and face a division opponent that's what you are really grumpy about this no No, i think i'm just wondering i I think yeah 
this is not what I'm predicting to happen, but I think it would be a really good thing for this team to go out there and get a win against the Raiders in week one on the road. They haven't beaten them in Oakland, Phil, I think since 2015. That's interesting because they don't play there anymore. So that would be hard. Oh my gosh. (laughs) In Las Vegas. They've never won there. (laughs) Yeah, That's better. Yeah. But, you know, Vegas uh, pushed them around a little bit in Las Vegas last year. And then to to end the season the way they did, kind of that last second, I believe, two-point conversion, right, to to get the win, um, left a bad taste in my mouth. You never like losing to the Raiders, even if it did help the Broncos get a better draft slot. So go out there, send a message week one. Um, a couple years ago, the Broncos went out to Oakland for week one on Monday Night Football and did not do so well. It'd be nice to go out there and, and set the tone, finally get a road AFC West win. Um, I think that would go a long way toward giving this team confidence, not that beating a, you know, beating a Jets team or a Jaguars team, Lions team would be nice, but I think beating a team like the Raiders would give this team a a boost of confidence going into the rest of the year. Why don't you just say on the road in Arrowhead to play the Chiefs then using, using that sort of thought process? Why would you just say that? I'm a realist, Phil. (laughs) Oh, got it. Got it. Because I'm sure that would give them some confidence, wouldn't it, Eric? That would too. You want to change your pick? No, because I, I've I've used actual. You want them to you want them to open up against a D three school. You want them to go play Wisconsin Whitewater in Week One. Okay, let me call my friends up in Detroit. They would not like you to say that. Uh, That's what you said. Some people in what New York might have some different thoughts. That's I'm saying, schedule wise, it would be best if they could build their confidence up with a win. So in order to schedule wise do that, what would be most likely to help do that would be at home against a team that did not have a good record last year. So Jets, Lions. So you want to play the guys that are Vic Fangio's size that Quinn Miners was pushing around. Yeah. I'm just saying up in Whitewater. And also if the Broncos are able to have fans back at home, let's just get the party started. You know, let's get the fans back in the stands. Let's get it started. They've been itching for some Broncos football right off the bat. A nice win at home. That's what I think would be ideal, Eric. Fans want to see an exciting game in week one. They want to see a quality opponent. They don't want to watch the Lions. If you want something exciting, how about facing the number one pick from last year, Trevor Lawrence, you know, going on the road, big, that would be a big matchup, right? Urban Meyer's debut as, as Jacksonville's head coach. Okay, so you're just picking like three or four different options here. Is that what's happening? No, I'm going to be time to wrap it up. I'm saying the best option would be like Jets at home is what I would say schedule wise. That would be the ideal way to open the season. You say on the road against uh, the Raiders. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay. We'll see. You're already dressed for the Raiders game. You got your Al Davis uh, look going. I always love. Every year, uh, the the story of Al Davis meeting Darth Vader comes out, uh, you know, uh, because of May the 4th, which was earlier this week, Eric. And he's like, who the is Darth Vader? Amazing. Yeah. But I do maintain that's probably the most hurtful thing you've ever, ever insulted me with is saying I look like. Oh, I didn't Davis. say it was an insult. I was just. Letting no, it is an insult. Okay, I'm not saying that. To be clear, this post goes as, viral. I'm not saying it. As this. a lifelong Broncos fan, saying that I look or dress like Al Davis is an insult. 
regardless of what you think about Al Davis. Me being a Broncos fan, that's an insult. Got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like All that's right. that has nothing to do with Al Davis. It's just from my perspective, that's an insult. Yeah, you are definitely in be, your you're definitely yeah. in your feelings here. That would be like if I said you uh, you dress like uh, Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> As a Northwestern fan, you'd be like, no, I don't. That's an insult. Not really. I like. Uh, I pretty much concern myself as a Cats fan with teams that we might face in the Big Ten Championship, so I'm not too worried about Harbaugh in Michigan. I was going to say, like, what is a Northwestern? Like, what's a rival to Northwestern? Like, running out of batteries for your calculator? Like, maybe that's what you. That's what you're dressed like. You dress like a low life battery. Got it. <laughs> yeah, maybe Got it. maybe your computer while you're typing an essay is running out of juice. That's what you just. Oh yeah. man, that hurts. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. hurts. Maybe you've got a class that's across campus and you're going to be a minute late. <gasps> you know, a whole yeah. minute. That's what you're dressed like. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's what it. That's what you're dressed like. Yeah. All right. I'm going to leave the CU roasts alone because I don't want to alienate <laughs> yeah. the uh, the fan base. You guys, you had two uh, Northwestern players drafted in the first round. That's a, that's a big deal. Football factory. Yeah, that is, that's pretty impressive. I'll say that, Eric. Congratulations. I don't think uh, Ohio State had that. I don't think Michigan had that. I think Alabama and maybe one other school were the only ones who had that. Pretty impressive, if you ask me. I think Alabama had six players drafted in the first round. At least five, two. Five least of them two on offense. Northwestern. <laughs> five of them on Alabama. offense. Yeah, five on offense, and the other was Sertan. So, yeah, that's a stat is still true. Yeah, who who is that? That was um, the two For running, the two oh, uh, wide receivers. Yeah. yeah, Jalen Waddle, Devonta yep. Smith, Devonte um, Smith, Alex Leatherwood. Yep, Najee Harris, and then Mac Jones, and of course our guy Pat, Pat Sertan, Sir Pat Sertan the second, Sir Pat Sertan the second. Yeah. Yeah. Move over, Sir Lloyd Cushenberry. Yeah, sorry, Lloyd. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, if you'd like to be a part of next week's show where we're talking about the schedule, go ahead and leave a voicemail, 707-NEUTRAL. That's how you can get involved with the show. You could also leave a comment down below if you're watching here on YouTube. Smash that subscribe button. Eric, how else do they get involved? Leave an email at neutralzoneshow at gmail.com. Let us know what your, let us know your thoughts on the schedule once you get them. Yeah. And then also uh, uh, hit us up on Twitter at Eric Delala with an A, at Phil Milani with a PH. So we'll be back next week breaking down the Broncos schedule. So exciting, Eric. I know. Just can't handle it. I can't it handle is exciting. It. People get to know it could be the first time people are back in full force at Empower Field in a long time. You're uh, making fun of people, but it's an exciting time. It is an exciting time. Although you want the Broncos to start on the road against the Raiders. More home games for later. Yeah. Yeah. The, the number of home games doesn't change. But more, <laughs> or you get more of them later. Oh, that so open sense. the, open the, you know, you leave a nice little Christmas present for later. You know, you want to leave the biggest one. So I understand. It's like you eat all your vegetables first and then you save the good stuff. Exactly. For there you I go. Then you go to the steak. I understand now. Yeah. That's put it in my kind of terms. I exactly. Understand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Each little lettuce first. The meat. Yeah. Do you get it? Now I see. Now I've seen the light. Yeah, I see the light now. Thank you, Eric. 
Uh, and uh, once again, thanks to Pat Sertan the second for taking some time to chat here. And uh, we're happy to bring that conversation to NZ Nation. We'll be back next week. Until then, for Eric Dalala, I'm Phil Milani. You've been listening to The Neutral Zone.